Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in sports cars. This is a part two or a continuation or I'm not sure, but I do know my brother Graham Goodwin and I, he, the editor of dailysportscar.com, come to a conclusion mid-episode, last episode, rather than try and do the two to two and a half hours it takes each week to get through all of your awesome questions, why don't we try and break it up a little bit? Smaller chunks, since you know what? We got the time. Right, brother? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we got a lot of time. Dear me. Uh, and it's great to be back. And after some glorious sunshine uh, here in the UK, I think the thing that's changed since we last spoke is we are, of course, now on full lockdown uh, across the UK. So what does that mean? It means we've got a very unhappy husky. It's only allowed to go out uh, for a walk once a day. Uh, it means we cannot mix with anybody outside of essential shopping, outside of our household. So I've got a very unhappy 16-year-old. Um, but uh, actually, it's been uh, a pretty good time to spend some time with family and just try to chill about what's been a pretty stressful uh, situation for absolutely everybody. Hope of all, all of our listeners are... Well, hope they're taking some solace in your efforts, my efforts, others' efforts to keep them entertained as they're enforced and at home, uh, MP. And let's hope we see the other side of this situation sooner rather than later. As I've been mentioning of late, we are now hashtag agents of distraction, trying to <laughs> give fans of motor racing something to help pass the, I guess, what feels like a lot of time. Life has become an endurance race for those of us who are sheltering in place and whatever else in place. So speaking of in place, it would be our place, Graham Goodwin, to continue to get to as many questions as we can in roughly an hour of those left from our previous episode. I think we'll send out a call for more questions tomorrow. See what might result from that. Where shall we start our official selector? Of categories. Well, I think we'll start this time with um, Weck Aslam's ACO. We started uh, with a few questions from IMSA last week. Obviously, we've got all sorts of story strands that have been doing the rounds. We've got uh, more cancellations and postponements. We've got the first signs that uh, the powers that be around the world are beginning to try to reconstruct a calendar. We've got the confirmation just about an hour before I sit down to record this MP that uh, the test date at Le Mans will no longer take place uh, this coming uh, or this this season. So we will not have a test date at Le Mans. That to free up some more space on the calendar. Lots of rumour around. We're not going to play the rumour game, um, but all sorts of tactics that might come to bear to squeeze in as close to a full calendar as they possibly can. Uh, but, yeah, let's uh, let's see what we can do um, around uh, uh, just unpicking some of the, uh, the themes that are still out there. Absolutely. We've got two or three IMSA items left, so we'll grab a couple handful here from our WEC and related content left over from last week. Why don't we go with our man Jacob Bame? actually have two. From him, first being, Graham, are you aware of how advanced the various Lamar hypercar programs happen to be at this point, all driven from the COVID-19 virus? Curious about how the various shutdowns globally might affect hypercar's overall development speed. He says he's thinking about Glickenhaus, 
their Italy-based podium engineering effort that puts together or is putting together their 007 hypercar. Jacob wonders, could the break in racing actually be beneficial to their schedules? Well, what do you think there, my sheltering-at-home friend? Well, it is a think rather than no. I think there are some instances where, with no distraction from racing, or indeed from um, construction for that matter, then anything you can do at home on a laptop or a desktop, then you've got actually plenty of time to be able to, uh, to put that together. In terms of fabrication, in terms of actual construction, then there might well be more concerns about progress. Uh, so what do we know? Not a lot. What do I think? I think Toyota, it'll be uh, either a very good thing in terms of them having a little bit uh, more time and resource with their design um, capabilities to do something either in the office if they're allowed to get there in Kelowna or in Japan uh, or um, at home where, you know, with a capable bit of computing power, uh, a lot of that design work and the honing of the design of their hypercar can go ahead uh, in a rather less restricted by having to be on a plane and supporting a race team sort of way. And there's no reason to think that it wouldn't be the same for the Glickenhaus uh, organisation. I should say, by the way, uh, Jim Glickenhaus, one of a number of uh, parties in motorsport moving to help the medical response to COVID-19, not only offering their Danbury uh, road car facility that's been to be fitted out to build their road cars uh, as a potential temporary hospital facility uh, in Danbury, but also uh, coming forward with designs of a multi-use uh, um, mask using uh, what I think one component they would need to design, but otherwise uh, components that are available off the shop uh, off the shop shelf. So what do we know? Not a lot. I think we'll start to find out pretty quickly whether or not this is good news or bad news does seem to me, though, with the Le Mans 24 hours being announced when it has been, there will be at least some delay to the start of the 2020-2021 season for uh, the FIA WEC because the uh, Le Mans 24 hours is now very much in the territory of when that season was supposed to be starting. Should add to that as well, and this is just thinking about the making the racing stuff happen so we can have the races separate topic indycar but i did speak with ted klaus the president of honda performance development they also obviously are responsible for the acura arx 05s raced by team penske and imsa but mentioned to him home state that i'm in california where hpd is based we are on a shelter in place decree until april 19th and that's not a guaranteed end date that's just the first end date put in place. Mm-hmm. Michigan, home of Chevy Racing and uh, Ilmore Engineering, they're on a shorter timeline, but that could be extended. The UK, obviously, uh, with Ilmore housed there, right? Yep. But Boris Johnson said, buckle in, this could be up to six months. Yep. So just looking again, I know this, we're talking IndyCar, not sports cars, but just want to apply this to the hypercar uh, question biggest race we have the indy 500 of any kind in the states may 24th even if all of the work at home bands and i'm sorry even if all the bands end and folks can go back to work at least at say hpd on april 20th 
that doesn't guarantee they're going to have enough time to build all the motors needed to hold a motor race on May 24th. Right now is when they would be working an insane amount of hours through April to get that done. And Mm -hmm. so similar with Elmore, you have to apply that mindset to everyone manufacturing a hypercar where some form of shelter at home policy is in place. Of course, as Graham mentioned, you can do great things on the laptop, but machining parts, laying up carbon composites and so on, the things that require hands touching things, that's where we're going to see the biggest questions emerge. When can you get going again? Again, if by chance this global pandemic has us away from the racetracks, even away from work for many, many months, what will that do, Graham, for the grid at the 24 hours of Le Mans? Uh, Could it be if Gibson, in their ability to make motors, supply motors, could it be an electronics firm? Could it be one run down the list? All the things that teams need to go motor racing, as long as we have this do not go to work, do not use your hands decree, in many places uh, that we would consider hubs of motor racing, that's gonna that's going to be the interesting part from a management standpoint because the WEC, ELMS, IMSA, run on down the list are all going to have to have very direct weigh-ins with their teams, the constructors, all the various suppliers. Once we get going again, when can you have your stuff ready so you can supply them so they can do their thing and go here? and we can have a motor race. It's a lot more than just the virus is gone, turn the lights back on, we're racing on Saturday. Yep, and you might well find, as we found in the uh, aftermath of the the last financial crisis, that, that some of the long lead-in parts might be available, but the spares might not be available. Stocks of those things might be uh, tricky. Things like uh, gearboxes, something like 12 weeks from what I can remember, um, was the lead-in time for some of the stock uh, items that are going to be required. So if what you've got uh, is eaten up, it may be the supply chain is not able quickly to replace replace those supplies. And that's particularly uh, troublesome in the 500, the month of May, and, uh, and and the the pressures that go with the teams there, but also, of course, that I'm on 24 hours, in particular, the fact that we're almost certain to try to get a uh, contracted, um, constrained program of racing before Le Mans. If things go wrong in that period of time for those teams, then they're going to be rushing without a, with a shadow of a uh, shadow of a doubt, because we're going to be looking to get a lot of racing in if we do get back running in August September. A lot of racing in in a very short period of time, far shorter than we've seen in recent memory. Let's go to Jacobs. Next question, and thank you, Jacob, by the way, for being a a steady contributor to the little nonsense we do here. He says, I recall reading very recently that Janetta is actively Mm -hmm. pushing the ACO towards allowing them to run an LMP2. Is that true? And if so, how likely you think the ACO might be in towards of budging, especially in the face of other constructors' productions capacity, potentially hampered by COVID-19? Yeah, well, you heard it on this show first, and uh, and I think second and third as well. And uh, sure enough, yeah, a couple of reporters have followed up on that. But absolutely true. The the situation is quite simple. 
um, Lawrence Tomlinson, who's the owner of Janetta, um, feels somewhat aggrieved that uh, having missed out last time on an LMP2 uh, chassis license, and remember that came in the wake of him being the first to commit to LMP3, uh, but having missed out on that, he felt there was a standing understanding in place um, that they would at the very least be given a shot of competing for a license this time around, having recommitted to LMP3 and having, of course, committed to what, for the WEC, was a hugely valuable two-car effort in LMP1. They've opted, for whatever reason or reasons, to go down the road of effectively renewing the licenses to the existing four uh, LMP2 manufacturers, despite the fact that one absolutely does not have a market for their LMP2 chassis, and two of the others are going to rapidly contracting uh, market for their LMP2 uh, chassis. So there has been no tender and no competition, and I think it's fair to say, one, he is feeling pretty aggrieved, and two is, I think quite correctly, he's feeling quite angry about that. His view uh, is, I've committed to LMP3 twice, I've committed to LMP1, We've spent a lot of money to develop the capability of design and build for those carbon fiber monocoques. It's only correct that we should at least be considered for, you know, what everybody still believes, I think, um, could be a breakthrough moment for LMP uh, LMP racing. He certainly doesn't want to uh, put the money he's going to put into LMP3, which is not a big money making um, formula, by the way, for a manufacturer only to see that if he's successful with that car, he has to hand over those customers to a rival constructor. So what I think, um, yes, it's still a live issue. I believe that's still under uh, under uh, discussion, at least from one side of things. How hopeful am I there'll be a change? I'd like to think there's a possibility. I'd like to think that if Lawrence Tomlinson could come forward and say, we've actually got manufacturer or manufacturers in, uh, interested in working with us for an LMDH project, that will be listened to. But Because here's the news, they have been talking to manufacturers in a very positive way, and I think they could have pulled something off um, with uh, either a hypercar or an LMDH with something based around the same technology they've used for the, the, uh, the tub for the LMP1 car. So I'd like to think the door is still open. We are in extraordinary times right now. Let's see what comes out at the end of this. This is not a hashtag wait and see. Uh, This is, I'm not sure what we're going to see coming out at the other end of this current crisis. I hope we're going to see some common sense, and I hope we're going to see some of these, for us, housekeeping, for him, make or break decisions discussed again. Going to take one more here on Weck Asm Elms Aco, and we're going to say thank you to uh, Jose Javier Hernandez for this. Says I hate to ask these questions because it will sound like a conspiracy theory. We love conspiracy theories, uh, but here goes with the delay of the twelve hours of Sebring, where the next level of convergence rules were supposed to be hammered out and published. Lamont possibly pushed to September. And the fact we only have one manufacturer signed up for a hypercar. Is there any momentum to scrap any or all of the plans announced at Daytona? 
Is the FIA taking the advantage of the global chaos and the extra time to impose their political will because they were excluded from the initial convergence accord? Jose says, hoping it is not the case. So, Graham, can you reveal the master plan with your third eye well, of if, uh, if, the, if, the conspiracy? <laughs> now, granted, had they announced this on the moon from a, a yes. studio in Burbank, now that would have yes. been really funny. No, I think uh, the thought that the FIA could move quickly to do anything, um, and by the way, uh, quickly over a period of months to do anything of the sort, doesn't even begin to occur to me. Do I think it's on track? Yes, I do. Do I think they would have been pushing it to get exactly where they wanted to be by Sebring? Yes, I do. Um, there's a further question somewhere of uh, do the do the, uh, the the interested parties have regulations in their hands? No, they don't, but they most certainly do have an outline of where it's hoped those regulations will go. That will not include where you might race them, uh, you know, what the calendar uh, layout might be in a couple of years' time. But are they close? Yes, they're very, very close. Are we going to hear something before we go back racing? I think we might. I think we'll we'll hear as part of the recovery plan of both organisations. And by that, by the way, I mean ACO uh, and FIWC uh, and the um, IMSA on the other side. I don't mean FIA. FIA have approved the outline. Um, and now they move on to the full technical regulations. Uh, and there you've got two things going on, of course, in the background. You've got the uh, the push to rebuild the calendars for all the relevant championships and the push to get the rule book in a fit state to be communicated, not just to a commercial audience, but to a public audience as well. And that's not quite the same thing. You can, of course, in case of a, commercial audience and a technically minded audience you know take a few liberties and say we're not quite there with this but we wanted to share that with you uh with the rather more questioning at times uh troublesome uh the likes of you and i for instance marshall that might be something that takes a little bit longer to give us anything other than outline framework i know i'm troublesome there's a long I, there's I, a 40 I've plus years of that it. framework <laughs> I think it's uh, it's 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 part of the cut and the thrust, isn't it? But I I I don't know what you're hearing your side, MP. What little I'm hearing about it is generally very positive in terms of the direction of those uh, regulations, the journey towards getting something that can be publicly presented. I'm not hearing anything at the moment that I feel I need to be concerned about to do with LMDH. Would just add and agree on that front i think the technical side of this jose i think the minds at the aco and imsa who are coming up with the regulations i think they are continuing to do great work and get close to something that's what i've heard and i have no reason to believe otherwise i will share in your concern i do want to preface that by saying i'm not saying there's anything founded founding i Diaz behind this it's just what popped into my little brain it's that with the aco imsa and the wc coming together and meeting and meeting and meeting and being in the same room and there being that positive spirit and going and having dinner at night and breakfast and lunch and multiple times over and over again during this critical phase of convergence that i believe is the most positive thing that we could 
fall back on. They're sitting in front of one another. They're arguing or agreeing. They're whatever they're doing. They're doing it in a room. They are fellowshipping away when they're done with that and sharing meals and talking about family. These are the things that build bonds that create the kind of foundation needed for convergence to stand. I am mildly concerned for sure, Graham and Jose and everyone else that in the absence of being able to do that and with the coronavirus, keeping folks sheltering elsewhere, communication by text, by phone, video conferencing. I know that those things can be a, a good alternate, but I do worry that untethered and worries and concerns and whatever self-interest that might come in. Those are the things that pick apart good ideas and good spirit that's been built. Not saying that is happening or will happen, but if we do learn, Graham, at some point in time that things went a little sideways or didn't turn out as planned, I do think this coronavirus-related shutdown we're in and not allowing these groups to come together and build together and become stronger could be one of the reasons uh, that we look back and go, Ooh, boy, great idea, but world circumstances actually destabilize things more than was healthy. Well, it's, it's the interesting thing about that. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things about that, uh, and I kind of share some of those concerns. One is the tone is lost in electronic communication, without a shadow of a doubt. By that mean textual uh, communication um, is always a difficult one, uh, to assess tone, and in particular when you've got uh, people who don't share the same first language. The other one, it's a, it's a, it's seemingly a small one, but it talks to what you've just said there, MP, is when you've actually got people to meet uh, in country or at a race meeting, you're there. You don't have to cons- make any other considerations, but bear in mind the stresses and strains of the business as a whole at the moment, um, long working days... The other problem is you're on a completely different time zone because you're not in country. So you're having to actually uh, extend or compromise your working day to accommodate those meetings whilst still under stress from the fact that your calendars have been blown to pieces. You don't yet have a firm end date for when this this virus is going to basically pack up its shit and get out of dodge. Um, uh, And you're there having to make a guesstimate of rebuilding it with the the let's put it this way if not a certainty then a you know a rolling uh, likelihood that not all of that plan will eventually come to be so that's one of the reasons by the way that you're not going to read you know uh, anything with fanfares and um, banner uh, carriers for us saying they've got the great solution to exactly when we're going racing because the honest answer is we don't yet know it's nice to have a plan, but you know what? This is an extraordinary situation, and that plan might have to change again. But hopefully they've actually got their um, their to-do list in order here. Hopefully they are getting the consistency and the quality of communication that's going to be required at the technical and the sporting level uh, to get those regulations out before we start what is an altogether different kettle of seafood – Uh, which is what happens to do with calendars and the options within those calendars moving forward. And that MP is where this current disruption offers both a threat and an opportunity. 
want to throw out just a quick appreciation towards you, young man, on the variety of initiatives that you are cooking up and have in motion on DailySportsCar.com, your lockdown riding challenge, trying to inspire some new talent uh, there, uh, the ongoing updates on the industry trying to produce medical devices in support the COVID-19 response, the freelancer database for those who are trying to find work in a time where their racing employment has been halted. Uh, there, there's, there's a reason why I don't like you there. Good one. Uh, you're, good <laughs> at, you're a good egg, despite what pretty much 99% of the people I yeah, talk yeah. to say, uh, yeah. that 1% <laughs> is standing out right now. Um, I think, yeah, I think before we, before we move on with that one, just a really quick thing about it. There's only one tactic right now that makes sense. That is positivity. There is no point in sitting there and waiting for this to happen. And I I would say one thing to all of our listeners. You've got friends out there. Just check in with them. This is a stressful time. Check in with them. Just pick up a phone. Have a conversation. Drop them an email. If it doesn't sound right, pick up the phone and have that conversation. We can't go out for a beer right now, but we can talk to each other. It is an unnatural situation for all of us. And I don't like the thought that uh, some of our guys, some of our friends, some of our listeners are maybe struggling a little bit out there. It is something I've done before in other situations. I'm doing it right now with two or three people. I'm not saying do as I do because it's the only way to do it. I'm asking to think about those kind of things. Check in with a couple of people. I think it's good for all of us to keep those social skills up and running while we're just basically battering Netflix's uh, bandwidth. Um, to death at the moment in uh, in Europe, it certainly seems. But uh, th- just enjoy the distractions for the moment, and let's get back racing as soon as we can. Speaking of get back, where are we going next? We're going to go to IMSA. Oh, and a couple of questions there. Now um, we got two see. or three here. You got Baxter. You got Darren go Dubois. Those two jump out maybe, and we should also mention we're trying to get to as many of your questions as we can. If we didn't get to them the first episode or this episode and you want them covered, send them back in. That's our standing yep. policy. Sometimes it takes two or three or four times in increasing aggro threats with each resubmission, but we'll get to them. I promise if you send them back in, let's kick off with Baxter. And what is your suggestion MP for the best IMSA Michelin pilot challenge race to watch on replay while waiting out uh, sheltering in place, social distancing, and all that stuff. Wow. I will throw out a general suggestion to the fine person who created the Bushu's Hammer Emporium jingle, that being Mr. Baxter. Um, any of the Daytona season openers, those tend to be just stonking mad. Uh, there tend to be about three winners. <laughs> from those and it's i swear it's the classic ah this is done and dusted an hour in or whatever it is and you go to bathroom break and you come back and okay the top four are all in the wall and upside down and uh now there's a whole new set of leaders and then the guys that were just running dead last for the first two-thirds of the race because their cars were just horribly bop'd or one might think magically they're up front and winning out of nowhere, and the entire paddock is angry. That, I would say, in a very general sense, 
Daytona is just awesome. Because very rarely do you have a formulaic finish. Ah, the top four qualifiers finished in the top four. Might have jostled who was where, but Daytona's always great. And this is maybe the most obvious answer, but it just continues to deliver. And that was last year's race at Road America. Decided at the finish line. Uh, yeah, one of the maybe the best finish of the year in IMSA across any championship. Uh, and that one still is just a lot of fun because if you don't know the finish, uh, it's pretty awesome. So for those who haven't watched it and just heard me say this, well, Graham, I should apologize for just spoiling it. But uh, <laughs> it's still pretty amazing. So those would be my suggestions. And we have no Graham Goodwin. Did you hit the mute button? No, I didn't. You didn't? No. You just want to give some dead air to see if I'd start singing? Maybe. Don't sing. I knew for it. The love of, Man, for the love of God, don't sing. That 99%, Let's- <laughs> they're right. Let's go with Darren Dubois. Wasn't the real story from the Rolex 24, not Kurt Busch, but the return of Nick Manassian. Kidding aside, would you discuss what went wrong in his career in karts and his eventual success in sports cars? One of the nicest blokes in the paddock. Uh, I'm very fond of pulling his leg that he looks like a bit of a Gallic Patrick Dempsey. Uh, I think he does. He thinks it's both uh, funny and now irritating, since I've got most of the LMS paddock to agree with me. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Nick Manassian, the most British Frenchman I can possibly imagine, uh, one of the men, by the way, that just about every fan that I know wish had won the Le Mans 24 hours at some point in his career, and still very rapid indeed in a race car. What do you think then, MP, about uh, young Nick? Well, I agree with Darren. It certainly wasn't about Kurt Busch because he wasn't there. It was his brother, Kyle. Um, (laughs) But I would say, Darren, that, I mean, you got to be correct on that. I love me some Nick Manassian as well. I have a unpublished, uh, I don't even know what it was. might have just been a catching up with episode that he and I gathered, what, I think in August last year in Monterey at the uh, Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion where he was looking after the historic Masters uh, sports car group there. And so, was, he involved in your, was he involved in your Peugeot podcast as well? Uh, I'm trying to think. No, I don't think he was available um, right. for whatever reason. So that would have been magnificent. But um, I forget what all we spoke about, but I need to get that published because we just had a great time. And I, like you, I love Nick. His oh, open-wheel yeah. career, if we just stick to IndyCar, because that's what most people remember, uh, he's driving for Chip Ganassi Racing at the wrong time. Uh, he mm-hmm. was abs- he, himself and Bruno Junquera coming in, trying to follow in the footsteps of an Alex Zanardi, Juan Montoya, Jimmy Vassar. Ugh, boy, this was just not the time. And coming off of winning a 147 championships in a row... Uh, Mr. Ganassi, who is notoriously impatient, went in a radical direction. Bruno ended up getting the better of Nick. Nick hit too many things, and I just don't think his confidence was where it needed to be. Not just the turning the steering wheel part, Graham, but in order to be in Chip's orbit. This is before he had a sports car program. This is really where... Today, I think many of us think of him as NASCAR, sports cars, open wheel. I know he's not in sports cars right now, but still. Large empire, lots of of kids to love, 
really the IndyCar program at this point in time was the central focus uh, in terms of Chip's attention. And so being the new weird guy who he didn't know, who they took a shot on, and Nick had obviously really excelled in uh, the European Junior Open Wheel formulas, took a shot on him, and it did not pan out at all. And so from a confidence standpoint, you have to have the thickest of skins to be around Chip if things are not going the way he wants, which is winning or death. And so if you take Chip's pressure and fury and the mistakes happening as well behind the steering wheel and your teammate Junkera standing out more and more and more, it was honestly about the worst collision of everything imaginable to destabilize Nick's career. And so it didn't last very long and he was gone. Uh, So fairly rare when we see in season driver changes take place, but that is indeed what happened. So I wouldn't hold it against Nick. I would say the bar was set unreasonably high coming in Uh, a classic year two guy. If he'd had a year to figure out these circuits, he'd never been on to learn this oval stuff, to do all the things that, most folks agree take two to three years to really grasp if he'd had the time and not the pressure to have to be instantly amazing i think his career would have gone a very different way if he'd been able to come back year two uh, i mean year three would have been amazing but just year two i think we'd be talking about a very different outcome for him because the talent that wasn't the question just the environment wasn't a, wasn't the right one for him at that time. So, yeah, unfortunate. But yeah. I guess the good part is, because that went sideways, we've gotten to know him really well and love the guy. So uh, Absolutely right. I mean, I have to tell you, um, that led to the one piece of champ car memorabilia I possess. I do have somewhere uh, a number 12, I think it was, um, Nick Manassian, uh champ car cap somewhere oh i thought you're gonna say a broken like a you know, piece <laughs> off one of the cars i'm like i hate to tell you brother you're one of about There's three thousand people yeah yeah those are unfortunately that's kind of the reason why we're talking about nick's very brief uh indycar career uh you know i think we can say we're done with imsa how's that and okay. again send in your questions if we didn't get to them but i know we have a heck of bunch of hegenerale and fun stuff to get to with the how long do we have here, Graham? Well, we're about past the halfway mark. Okay. We're into the second half hour. So where shall we head there, my brother? Let's have a quick chat. We've got a couple of questions. Uh, Jamie Bender, Chris Lesperons. That's not a name I recognized previously, so you're more than welcome to the party uh, there. Uh, talking about the esports and online racing scene whilst we're here in kind of global lockdown many race drivers many products coming together some of them collaborating some of them competing god it's like real life isn't it um but uh asking whether or not um what our views are on the more mainstream potential for that certainly now during this period but what that might mean for esports when we get back to the point where uh real life sports uh, out in the playing field um comes back mp what say you about that well i'm looking at i'm looking at a porsche 911 
RSR that has been done with a gorgeous iRacing livery. This was posted by James Nolan on my Facebook page. And mm-hmm. on the back of this beautiful, this illustrious GTE Porsche, it has hashtag BOPenis and hashtag me personally. <laughs> so, ah, oh, this is brilliant. This is why virtual racing exists for silly, silly, silly things like this. I, I am an unabashed fan because I spent untold, no joke, thousands of hours of my life in the 1990s in particular uh, with what would today be called sim games. Back then it was just called, I don't even know, gaming. I don't even know if we called yep. it that. We just did it. Um, the amount of hours spent on Indianapolis 500 and Grand Prix <laughs> 1, Grand Prix 2, uh, there's a couple of sports car racing games I'm forgetting. I believe I still have the CDs somewhere. <clears throat> but this, when I was single in particular, was just something that filled I don't know how many hours of my life. Now, granted... Uh, during whatever years where I had girlfriends, a lot less. Funnily enough, the last time I did any kind of sim racing would have been around early 2002. You'd never guess who met his the future Mrs. Pruitt in April of 2002 and has not done anything <laughs> since then. And it's not because of her. It's just, you know, life marriage and that kind of stuff um has filled a void uh, filled a time void that no longer existed i'm a big fan of it having mentioned i think on social media i was talking with a friend a couple days ago about well when did you first and i think my first kind of sim racing experience was late 1989 early 1990 and uh, at least for hashtag me personally that's not unique because all yeah. the mechanics that I knew of <clears throat> working at what we call today Sonoma Raceway, Sears Point, were doing the same on their boss's computer um, or trying to do something at home. And it was just really, funnily enough, from team to team to team that I went as I worked up the open wheel ladder uh, and sports car ladder as a mechanic. Everywhere I went, it was the same thing. <laughs> Even the like the Indy Lights level, almost at IndyCar, like, hey, yeah, we're going to go screw around. We're going over to so-and-so's house during lunch just to play Grand Prix 2 and then come back. Or there was one sports car shop that I worked at where we had smaller prototypes that we ran. And uh, if I recall correctly, the owner of the team actually had to put a password on Grand Prix 1. I think because we were playing it so much, we weren't actually getting work done. And this is with a joystick. Forget yeah. a steering wheel. This is having to, so just saying age wise, like, man, I can't believe we did that. Um, but this is just something that for hashtag me personally, it's been a part of my life for more than half my life. The only aspect of that though, Graham is it stopped almost 20 years ago. And so I love seeing how it has evolved. I am curious to see how the um, Lucas Ordonezes and Yen Marden bros of the world to see if more of them emerge and reach that high stature point. Not, oh, this guy won the E whatever thing and is going to get to test drive a race car, maybe do something in a lower 
you know, uh, spec series or something like that, MX-5 Cup or whatever, but actual like, ooh, this person's moving up the sport and getting paid. Love to see if that trend's going to continue, if some of that evolves during this shutdown where some truly skilled e-racing drivers get identified or celebrated by the Mm -hmm. pros who are doing this now. That, I think, would be pretty cool. Final thing to add, I'm I successfully found the very very old Logitech whatever steering wheel and pedals I last used. I don't know if they still function, but I'm bound and determined to give iRacing a try because from when I last did this, it was really fun and cool and I could do the chassis setups and was pretty good at that and yada yada yada. But there was no realism to the degree of an eye racing. So I want to see if I can still do this and enjoy it instead of it feeling like the same kind of pressure and pursuit of excellence involved with driving a physical racing car. And for me, it's never been about proving to the world I'm the best whatever when I'm at home with a steering wheel and pedals. It's I want to enjoy and have fun, not perfect the rear spring rate on the whatever vehicle in order to take a tenth of a second off at the Nurburgring. Like, so value system-wise, this needs to still be fun. So I don't know if that's possible because I've never uh, done an iRace, but I want to find out. So maybe that'll be something interesting to write about or just a story that confirms I'm hot garbage. Here's one thing I would say that I do think is a difference which is, I, there certainly might be a different audience here, but I don't sense, let's put it this way, I have sat and I've watched a couple of these races because, let's face it, uh, I'm not allowed to walk the Husky, uh, and there's not a whole lot else to do other than write more stuff for DSC or get drawn into the pit of hell that is the long and growing DIY list uh, at the other end of my garden. Uh, but there is one difference, which is I don't sense there is the traditional market for post-race analysis or reporting of what's happened in those events. Now, I might be wrong. There might be, I'm sure there's a subculture there where that does exist. But I should tell you this, I have absolutely no interest whatsoever on reporting how that race went at all in any way, shape or form. I can be entertained by it. It's distracting. It's quite fun. But beyond that, at the moment, it has not yet crossed into my orbit of absolute relevance and enthusiasm beyond the here and now. I get it, and you know, there's going to be levels at which the engineering side, the setup side, etc., uh, is of interest. But for me, it's a kind of pure spectacle. It's you know, it's watching it in the here and now, and when it's done, it's done. Um, and then you can look forward to the next time they do it. And I'll, I'll let those guys worry about what's going to happen in the meantime. But I don't personally have any interest in too much analysis other than a bit of, did you see that? Wasn't that spectacular? Um, it's certainly not one that I feel the need to put 500 words down on Daily Sports Card to report on any of those events so far. Um, and I'd, I'd say just this, I'm far more of a fan of those that are collaborating 
to make it easier for people to access than those that are trying to carve out their own niche and say our event was better than your event come on guys get over yourselves you know let's uh, right here right now just revel in the fact that this is available to everybody to watch and make it easier for them to do that well whatever i <laughs> reported on my very first esports event last did saturday you? i did the uh, super saturday or whatever the heck imsa called their sebring event and i'll tell you i have never been paid so heavily in emojis and memes <laughs> as i did after filing that report so you can go screw yourself goodwin but, that, um, no, but there you go there you go no this is the thing so it's a different audience it is a different audience and there's nothing wrong with that and that could be here's the thing it could be uh, it could work in two completely different ways. There are going to be people involved in sim racing who simply have not been exposed to the real-world talents of some of the people who are now taking part in those events because they are going to be the guys that – they're heroes, the Jimmy Broadbents, the Rudy Van Burens. Yes, I know. Um, and that they may not know, you know, the Antonio Felix de Costas and I'm sure they know the Max Verstappens and the Juan Pablo Montoyas, but it may well be that actually – they do take a moment to think, well, what does this guy do? There is a possibility of crossover in the same way that there has been, not talking sim, video games. You know, look at the popularity of uh, things like the, uh, the Subaru brand that came through some of the kind of not just the real world antics of Colin McRae, but actually the online games or rather the, uh, the CD-ROM games. Um, same with Super GT, had nothing really of an audience outside of Japan until Gran Turismo. And then people were blown away by what these cool cars were. And, you know, you talk to, you know, a generation now of people that follow that. And for that matter, people like RJ O'Connell that report on it um, for us and, and for others. And their fire was lit by those computer games. It can be a two-way street. And that's where the people who've been truly visionary about this have really made uh, some successes. And, you know, stand up and be counted here, the likes of Darren Cox. Not everybody's cup of tea in very many ways, mm. but my God, he's shown the way for a number of ways in which the, the more traditional, you know, I'll put my hand up and say, I'm one of those, can find relevance with a completely different marketplace. And the two can meet somewhere in the middle. Let's hope we can continue to get to, to that that trend to blossom. Where else should we go in general, my friend? Let's go with Buddy Campbell, who says, with the release of a mid-engine C8, is there any talk of Callaway, or for that matter anybody, I guess, developing a C8 GT3 to replace their developed C7 GT3? How long does the SRO allow to replace old model years? Oh, that's a great question, of which I have no, nothing to contribute, buddy. Um, uh, well, I'd say this. In terms of the, the way in which the Callaway deal happened, you'll recall this one. I know, MP, because I remember us talking some years ago at Daytona about the, the fact that this deal had been done, that Callaway could develop the C7 GT3, but not market it in the U.S., uh, and that that only changed... Uh, when the Cadillac program was wound up because it was the Cadillac uh, that was the GT3 offering in the United States. Callaway did indeed uh, try to market and uh, race the C7 GT3 in the US and 
that fell over pretty quickly, mainly for budgetary reasons. Uh, but I've certainly heard nothing about any other racing derivatives of the Corvette C8 so far. But remember, with LMDH coming, all bets are off as to what's going to happen in GT racing in the in the future. And my guess is they'll go with where the market is going to be. And if that's going to be GTLM and GTE Pro, then that's all well and good. But I'm not convinced that if LMDH gets gets rolling, that uh, that C8 has got a full model cycle to live. I am curious if we should, in the 45-ish minutes we have left, jump over to fun and have some fun, okay. knowing that we're not going to get to all the Hegenerals or all the funds, but we can at least give it a try. Okay. Does that sound reasonable? You're the hey, official selector. I mean, I, I wouldn't dare I know, tell I you. Go for it. I think we should go for it. Let's okay. go for it. So Let's kick off. You're you, going to kick it off? No, oh, I am. I am. I'm going to take two <laughs> here off the top. Our man, George Allegretza, who says, you may not be able to name names, but guys, who is your all-time worst interview subject? He says, as my ancestors would say, the D-bag, de tutti D-bags. And George also says, thanks for the kind words last week. Hope you and your loved ones are holding up okay. Well, uh, there's two sorts of bad interviews. There's the the non-communicative and the truly boring. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's that's fair, isn't it, MP? Yeah, that, no, I think that was the third installment of the Fast and Furious. <laughs> the non-communicative uh, and the, the boring. It's the kind of yes-no answer uh, ones. There are one or two people who either still are or have been like that. And I'll, I'll spare the blushes of the truly, truly dull, uh, because, my God, you'll come out. I can remember one particular uh, instance of Stephen Kilby walking out of an interview with a factory driver, no less, for a major brand, and walking out um, after having spent, I think, 25 to 30 minutes with the tape running, and came back to the desk, sat down in a kind of world-weary sense, and just said... I got absolutely nothing out of that whatsoever. Um, and it was just tedious. Guy didn't want to be there, wasn't really giving you anything, and it wasn't moodiness. It's just that's the style. Um, worst interview subject. I'll give you this story. Uh, in the first year of the WEC, as we clawed to... Um, pull budget together for what was a big step up in terms of what we needed to find um, to get uh, writers and photographers around the world with the WEC. We were looking all over the place for the opportunity to just claw back an airfare here or a hotel room there. Um, and one of the little deals I put together, and I thank him greatly for it, was with uh, Alistair Moffat from uh, Toyota. Oh. Uh, Al is just an awesome individual. Um, and Al commissioned me uh, to produce some long-form interviews with each of their drivers um, for use on their web. Uh, I think they're still there on the website uh, from 2012. So I did that with all six of the drivers. And those interviews, I have to tell you, I enjoyed almost all of them. I can remember Ant Davidson had been a driver that for a variety of reasons I hadn't really clicked with. And at the end of the interview, Ant turned to me, and I always remember what he said. He says, I genuinely wasn't sure how that would go. He said, but I really enjoyed that. That was 
generally speak, it was about 40 minutes with each of them, with one exception. And that was Sebastian Buemi. Ten minutes. Wow. Ten minutes. And that was all there was, folks. Ten minutes. Seb can be quite a complicated character. Uh, an awesome, awesome race driver, but quite a complicated character. And I do get the, the impression that he's always, and you, you will find this in every uh, every walk of life, suspicious of the motivation of the person asking the question. Um, but uh, 30 to 40 minutes for everybody else, it was 10 with, with Seb. And I walked out there and felt, I'm going to have to go and apologise to Albert because I didn't get much. Um, and I won't give you the response, but there was a lack of surprise uh, in the response I got from uh, from the person commissioning those words. Not the worst, but that one sticks out because it came in contrast to exactly the same format presented to every one of his peers at the time. There are people who are difficult. Um, the uh, you know our famous patron um, and uh, sponsor, one of them. Not an easy man to get an answer out of, and if you're fond of a, a, a uh, <laughs> fond of, of uh, another opinion of the owner of Boucher's Hammer Emporium, hammers for you, hammers for me, hammers for everyone. Christoph Boucher's Hammer Emporium. Look out for one of the features that Stephen Kilby's been putting together uh, while we're in lockdown. Uh, there is a driver of some notes that mentions him um, completely unprompted. And when Stephen told me what had been said, I, I did end up uh, having to clean the coffee off the screen uh, because it was a blurt out the coffee moment with that one. But uh, they're amongst the ones that I've got. Um, the degree of aggression from time to time, not necessarily in interview formats, but at times when perhaps you're having to go head to head on a slightly more difficult subject but uh what about you mp any of the ones that uh, spring to mind i would say <sighs> subject would be the ones where there's this awkward hope that you would be <laughs> interested and so george i would say the thing that i dread and do my best to accommodate, but probably for any of the PRFs listening, I fail at frequently. <laughs> it's when, it, granted, I realize it's more of a theme than a specific subject for an interview, but the, hey, we just got, name the incredibly small sponsor that you've never heard of that you know is paying pennies. They're got a new thing that they're selling. It could be an energy drink. It could be a tea. It could be a, a tire pressure gauge. It could be anything. Not that those products are bad or deficient, but just, you know, when you see the person coming around the, the press center with the little thing to give you and you go, oh, no. And it's the little tchotchke of a, of a keychain that 
inside the keychain it has pick whatever it is a new breath mint hey there are spots we're gonna make sure that our drivers when they get out of the car and you interview them boy their mouth is just gonna smell like roses and pepsi or whatever the heck it is <laughs> and you want to do your best because you realize we are links in the chain yeah, yeah. granted we aren't always clued into how we need to fit into that chain but the team sold a sponsorship for the race and they're getting you know what happens here george usually in these situations where there's the oh hey we got a new sponsor could you help us out and do a little something on them it's never uh, you know michelin (laughs) it's never (laughs) coca-cola name giant google they wouldn't need it but nonetheless it's never them it's the exact opposite it's the ones where if you do a google search for them by about page 932 you find the first reference to their product they're always the one george always who demand the most and so it that's the other part that's just it's hilarious we just spent five thousand dollars to be in your car for this race it's costing you $150,000 to run the race. If you do the math, you figure out that percentage-wise, we're a drop in the bucket. And yet, those are the ones that always have the press agents or the team owners or whatever just wound up to the freaking rev limit trying to promote their thing. And so it's those things where I feel bad for the the pr rep and they feel bad i mean they have that look like oh man i know you don't want to talk to me about this thing but could you possibly just mention that <laughs> we got a new breath mint sponsor and it's got a cartoon character of a badger we don't know why but they chose a badger badgy the breath mint i don't know but could you please and so they give you the breath mint thing and you go great and you put it in your mouth and your tongue starts to burn and you realize that you know it might have been their other product which is you know small capsule size pepper spray you never know but um but they sold the sponsorship the company is wanting the moon for their five thousand dollars and so these folks who are the nicest folks, the press agents here and there, all of a sudden they turn into the really embarrassed neighbor. Hi, little Johnny, little Susie's trying to raise money to go on a camping thing with their, it's band camp. And could you please buy one of these and it'll help the kid. And you go, oh my God. And you try and help. It's that, but in professional motor racing setting. And so the the tack onto that to close, George, is... You sometimes get the, could you, on the same exact theme, could you please come to our little press thing uh, in five minutes or ten minutes or whatever? It, it's it's never nearby, first of all. Nope, it's always, so you catch the bus, you, and then you get a transfer to the J-line. There's a plane waiting for you, and we're going to sneak into Cuba where the press conference is being held. And it's the, could you please come, and you get there, and it's just, it's every, it's your worst fears. It's the, well, not worst fears, but I'm just saying for, for us, it's because you get a hundred of these requests at all times. You sit there and you go, what's the, the time benefit ratio? Might they want to sponsor dailysportscar.com? Maybe no. I'll go and talk. I don't know. Is there something? Because I can't think of any other angle. Uh, could I go and sit and listen? Are they going to bring a driver up? Are they going to help a team that's struggling? No. 
they just want you to buy the badgy the badger breath mints and the guy is going to have way too much cologne on and make you choke and sneeze and cough when you get close to the owner and they're going to have the gold chains just jingling and jangling from their wrists and it's just going to be stereotype piled on top of stereotype and yet because we're linking the chain and those teams need money and the pr agents need to show that they're out there hustling and earning their money and doing the good work for sponsor abc and badgy the badger breath mints we get rolled into that too. So I realize that that's a lot of whinging probably for no reason, but I, I you do this long enough, Graham, and you can just see it coming. You can just yep. see it coming when someone's walking over to you and you're like, oh, here we go. In the back of my mind, I'm at least saying, please at least make this amusing. If I'm going to give you my time and a part of my soul, at least give me something to to laugh at or to smile over. And often, some of our friends in the sport do that. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. There's always a PowerPoint presentation as well, by the way. Always a PowerPoint presentation. And it isn't two slides either. Uh, anything south of 30 is a triumph in those situations. <laughs> I think we should uh, go to our final question of the episode. Buy our man back. I mean, he, granted, he's, he's never gone. He's always here, but he's back, back again. Um, Jacob Bame. And he's resubmitting this. This might be a new record. I've lost track of how many times, but it's too many. I'll absolutely blame (laughs) me, Jacob, because you should. Uh, I've myrtleized your question submission here. And he says, gentlemen, what is your favorite made-up word from the Twiskinary, pronounced like dictionary? The uh, week in sports cars, Twick. Twisk, I just mispronounced that as well. Please add that to the list. Shaneri, he says, hashtag me personally. It would be MPs. How do we pronounce that? How do you got to pronounce that? Because I can't think of what I said. What's this? So hang on a minute. The Eek and Urgenbler. Eek and Urgenbler. Eek and Urgenbler. What would that have been in reference to? Eek and Urgenbler. Eek and it's not Leonard Hergenboom. It's not that. But it could be. It, it could be. Um, no, he's going to have to explain that one next week. But um, You're going to have to yes. tell us what I was referring to, Jacob, because I don't know. But anyways, he says, hashtag me personally, his favorite BMPs, Eek from episode 531, <laughs> answering a question about Wayne Taylor Racing's Cadillac DPI paint job. Um Closely followed by MPs Myrtleize from the hot dog episode. And then he provided a link to because this is our these are our listeners. Jacob has kept the Twisctionary going. It's a Google Docs item. And now granted, I'm feeling a little bit bullied here. Okay? Not really. The vast majority of the entries you've taken the time to document have an MP next to them, Jacob, not a GG. And can I, just, can I just can I quantify that, please? It's it's not the vast majority; it's the overwhelming majority. <laughs> <laughs> and I shall be I shall be clear. By the way, one of my things about the English language is you can be underwhelmed, you can be overwhelmed, but you can't be whelmed. <sighs> Yeah, there's some dark alleys where a $20 bill will get you a good whelming, okay? Uh, let's see. what. Uh, where, where should we go here? Because there's, what do we have? 82, granted, when you add my 
mispronouncing the name of my own, the acronym like, for my own show. Uh, That'd make it 83. But uh, pick I like some here. Interest, interestingosity, which is uh, quite a good one, I think. That's to do with the interest in MP1H. Should I? Uh, I feel compelled to mention it's almost a defense, if not a complete defense. I intentionally mispronounce a lot of things just for the sake of getting bored of saying, like, myrtleized. It wasn't a mistake. It was fully intentional. Um, so some of these, like, interestingosity, of course, that's not a word, but I decided to make it up and use it. So I like that. I don't know, Jacob. I'm feeling a little targeted here. There should almost be a category of MPs intentional nonsense. What but then there'd still be the vast majority of crap I just straight up not said word good out of mouth face. What, what, what about prototype? I like that one. That Now that can taste pretty good, depending upon whether the, <laughs> the pig was grass-fed or not. Um, I'm partic- I'm partic- by the way, particularly uh, pertinent in this uh, these straightened times, next flicks. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah, that one didn't, I'm telling you, that business plan, it sounded like a winner, didn't go over well. They did not last very long, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Uh, there's so many here, but please, I mean, just, just you know, let's regale in my st- stupidosity. What what else comes to mind here? Uh, what have we got here? Pronounded, that's pronounced, that's good. And the Anglican for English. <laughs> but isn't no, that a thing? Is an Anglican, isn't, that's a thing, yeah. isn't it? Imster. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's well, a genius piece of work. But see, we that got, is IMSA's Instagram page. M- Imster, MP, isn't M- it? MP. Right? This right here is your next T-shirt. This is, the <laughs> <laughs> this is absolutely phenomenal stuff. Oh, Jacob, yeah, you are the best. Uh, let me see. Let me see if I can find uh, some here that I enjoy as well. Uh, Strategism is eight. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a even, it's f- not greater <laughs> depth of strategy. No, no, no. Whatever it is, it's not. Oh <laughs> man. You, you, I'm telling you, you're not a word crafter. Blur. I need to know what that was. Blur. I can't even my brain is usually working in full abstract mode at all times I can't even figure out what the hell I was trying to say there this one stands out for sure as one of my favorites uh, this is referring back to Darren Cox this being of the grand failures uh, 2015 LMP1 effort that being the Nissan GTR LM1 Nismo GT Nismo MRL1 M Nismo GTR. So I believe that. Uh, yep, yeah, that was yeah, that was one of my. Uh, it's, of- that's that's talking to by the way one of my. Uh, it's a growing loathing of um, championships and races being described in just stupid levels of detail. Um, the such and such by such presented by such and such. Uh, I, I've got no time for it. It's it's what it's it's the something championship. That's what it is. If you want to be the name sponsor, that's absolutely fine. I'll send you my bank details. If you want to uh, uh, sponsor me to type that out every time, I'll happily say it every time. But uh, yes, uh, that's that's my uh, that's my particular uh, ooh, loathing of that and overcapitalization. By the way, 
Yeah. You know what I mean by that one? Yeah, that yeah. one gets a little bit Re- old. Um, stand up, st- stand up, and be shamed publicly. Rebellion Racing, do it every time in every press release. But uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of that at all. Let's see. Uh, how about we go to? Well, this one isn't made up, and I, and I do it. Just it's now one of my new favorites. Pervergence in place of convergence, <laughs> but that's somewhat uh, that's a somewhat recent uh, brain fart. Um, apparently. While attempting to say the word pickle triple, I said pripple. So, um, yes. Uh, what else? Again, this is pretty much my list. Uh, photographs. That's with a Y instead of P H O T O. That's just an Americanization. It's it's Uh, quite damning, isn't it? It's quite damning. Yeah. Uh, what else? Modificating modificating look that's a word it's not (laughs) one in the dictionary but it's a word Uh, i do a lot of modificating all the time um along with pronunciating i believe as well um what else let's pick a couple more here and then leave folks alone because i believe we are causing a regression in the english language because of me that's a void. That's quite. That's quite. Uh, I can't. Still can't get past Leek and Urgen Blue. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like I'm yeah. trying to say some sort of Scottish. It sounds like it, Scottish apparel. Yup, for it could be. No, it's not that either. No. no, it, no. Um. Oh, I found one where I get to push back on on Jacob here. What? What? He has my pronunciation of the Korean auto manufacturer. Uh, where I said Hyundai, he has it spelled yes. H-U-N-D-A-Y instead of yes. Hyundai. And yep. based on, as I learned from the team, now granted, I didn't know that when I said it, but I'm kind of going back and doing a little bit of history alteration. Mm-hmm. The correct pronunciation of the brand's name, according to the brand, is Hyundai, like okay. Sunday. There you go. So I was right, Jacob, even though I was completely wrong when I said it, because I didn't know that, but I know it now. So I'm just going to revisit history and pretend like I did. I'll, um, tell you one final, I'll tell you one story, by the way, similar story to that, to do with the way in which you, the Americans, uh, pronounce the fine French manufacturer um, that uh, used to race the 908. And that uh, that word would be what? Uh, Indeed. Uh, it's not. Um, <laughs> but the funny part is Go on. the the nationality of people that tell Americans their pronunciation of Peugeot is wrong more yeah. than any other. Yeah. English. Of course. What's funny is when I hear yeah. English people pronounce Peugeot, it is mm-hmm. not like I hear it said by those from France. So right. me, oddly enough, the folks who are mispronouncing it in the in my mother tongue from where it began, yep. still say it wrong, but like to point out to the folks that left and revolted and such that they say it wrong, but we're both saying it wrong. But I guess They're ours is more you. wrong. Is They're I think that's the takeaway. Right. So here's the thing: because when this was around, um, this was around when the 908 was racing, and I can remember getting into spirited debates with our then uh, US team for Delhi Sports Car. And then Peugeot started running um, ads in the UK for their latest 
fine automobile. Uh, and at the end of those ads, their sign-off, it's a bit like, you know, McDonald's, da-da-da-da, I'm loving it, whatever it is this week. Um, there would be this female, almost seductive French voice, and all she was doing as a sign-off was pronouncing it per Joe. And that was the way that they chose to advertise the product. So I, I did um, copy and paste those far and wide amongst your countrymen. Um, here's the thing. I will give you aluminum. I believe that we pronounce that incorrectly. I won't give you Jaguar and I won't give you Peugeot. And don't get me started on basil on an under-regano because they're, they're two that I've no truck for whatsoever. Pizza ingredients, car manufacturers, just no. Keep it up. I'm going to fire guns at you. <laughs> right? You might have your language and pronunciation. Damn it. We got gun stores, sucker. So uh, I think we're going to. How's this? I'll get some of them nicely pronounced words, put them into a shotgun shell, and, and send them to you at about 2,000 feet per second. You won't get through the queues, mate, at the moment. I gather the long queues outside the gun stores. Some bitch monkey nuts. We don't queue. We stand. We're Americans. Damn it. <laughs> uh, well, we would not even want to insult your intelligence by saying this was ever on the rails to therefore fall off of it. But I am Marshall Pruitt. That is Graham Goodwin. We say thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers for their wonderful patronage and support of us, all kidding aside, during times where a lot of folks involved in motor racing are questioning their funding sources, their ongoing advertising and support of a variety of things, I sure am happy to report that those who support us have added that they are continuing to support us. So I would not ask you to thank them on social media, but if you happen to be one of the kind folks who's trying to think of something nice to say to people who help facilitate something that hopefully you don't totally hate, being the Weekend Sports Cars show, well, we want to say thanks to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers for giving us this, our daily bread, our daily yappity yap and Q&A in part two. And I guess we'll be asking for some of them word questions here shortly that I'm guaranteed to myrtleize. But you got to say goodbye, Graham. I've got to say goodbye. Uh, stay well, everybody. Uh, it's a tough time for everybody involved in this, and that's increasingly more and more of us. Stay at home. Look after your loved ones. Stay well and wash your hands. We'll be with you, well, not next week, I'm guessing, by the end of this week, MP, for what will be, for the duration, uh, two short-form uh, weekend sports cars rather than a longer-form possibility. <laughs>